0: We're continuing this series called Anxious for Nothing. And the the series actually comes from this book by a guy by the name of Max Lucado. And what I'd love for you to do, if you've got some extra resource, I would love for you to purchase this book and actually walk through this series with us with this book. It's an incredible, incredible book uh, because so many of us in this room, so many of us actually deal with anxiety. And so this book actually will help us. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, What's really cool about it is we're only two weeks into the series after today. And so you can catch up very, very quick. And so feel free to grab that. There's also a study guide. Uh, I've grabbed that study guide online. If you're a small group leader, uh, grab that. It'd be a great opportunity for you to kind of lead your group through uh, the next few weeks together as we talk about what it means to be anxious for nothing. And the premise behind this series actually comes from the book of Philippians. There's a guy by the name of Paul who wrote the book of Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing this letter of joy and of happiness. And in Philippians chapter four, verse six, it's, it's the root of where we're taking this series from. He says this, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, when you hear that, maybe you're like me, and I'm kind of I'm skeptical sometimes. I'm kind of sarcastic at times. And so I hear this from Paul, and I'm like, yeah, really, Paul? Like, like I, can, I can actually be not anxious about anything? In the book, Anxious for Nothing by Lucado, he, he writes this, and this is so true to this. He says this, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Let me say it again. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. And here's what I think this means. I think this means that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he didn't come to this earth to live and to die on a cross to be a moral compass for us. Jesus didn't come to this earth to teach us right and wrong. I believe Jesus came to this earth to set us free. And so if you're here today, and you're imprisoned with worry, if you're imprisoned with anxiety, I believe that Jesus can and wants to set you free from worry and anxiety. But belief supersedes behavior. If you do not believe, or if you do not come to a belief that Jesus can and wants to set you free, you might be a really good listener in this series, but it will do nothing to change your life. You have to believe, I have to believe, we have to believe that Jesus can and wants to set us free from worry and anxiety. And so in this series, we're gonna look at what that might look like to hand our worries and our anxieties over to Jesus. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to use this word calm, that in the midst of chaos that we could be calm. And so we're going to spell that out over the course of the next four weeks. With C, we'll start today talking about how we can celebrate God's goodness. And then next week on Bloomsday, and I do understand that it is Bloomsday, so I would encourage you to come on Thursday if you're running on Bloomsday. Next week we're going to talk about A, which is ask God for help. L is leave your concerns with him, and M, meditate on good things. And I think it's so important for us to understand that over the course of these next four weeks, it's a four-week sermon, not a four-week sermon series, a four-week sermon. You might walk out of here today saying, well, I I can celebrate God's goodness, but in the past, that hasn't seemed to alleviate the worries or the anxieties that I've had in my life. You might be right, And so over the course of the next four weeks, I want to invite you back or or jump online and listen to these over the course of the next four weeks or come on Thursdays if, for instance, next week you're running Bloomsday. Out of curiosity, how many you are running Bloomsday next week? Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) I am not. I heard an amen. Well, in this book, Paul is about 60 years old. And Paul's been beaten and imprisoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, starved, probably half blind at the writing of this book. And his future is as gloomy as the jail cell in which he finds himself in. And yet you read his words and you'd think he just arrived at a Jamaican beach resort hotel. Not one word in the entire book of Philippians bears one hint of complaint or of fear. And before he says, don't be anxious about anything, He says this, and this is where we're going to camp out today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in my trial, not rejoice in my difficulty, not rejoice in my circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he adds a word, and this word is always. Always. Now this week, I decided to get out all my commentaries. I wanted to do a word study on the original Greek to find out what this word actually means. When Paul is in a prison cell, he's been beaten and battered and shipwrecked and all of that, tortured, half blind, and he writes this word always. What does this word always actually mean? You want to know why I get paid the big bucks, right? You want to know why I drive a 2003 Acura with three check engine lights on, right? Here we go. This word always in the original Greek means this, always. (laughs) Always means when the hot water heater breaks. Always means when something doesn't go right at work. Always means when you're afraid. Always means when your kids are sick. Always means when you're carrying the weight of the world. Always means when things are really difficult. Always means when you're worn out, exhausted, worried, carrying anxiety. Always means always rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, I say it again, rejoice. And it's so easy, isn't it, to rejoice over results? To rejoice when things are good to rejoice when you get the job, to rejoice when you get the promotion, to rejoice when you find out you're pregnant, to rejoice when you get into that school, to rejoice when you sell the house or when the house gets sold, to rejoice when the tests come back negative, to rejoice when you ace the test, to rejoice when you get that teacher and not that teacher. But Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. His prescription to anxiety is rejoicing in who God is. It's not a call to a feeling, but it's a call to a decision and an action. I wish Paul would have been more realistic, don't you? I wish he would have said rejoice in the Lord most of the time. Rejoice in the Lord when things are good. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord uh, if you want to. I wish he would have been so much more realistic cuz I can justify myself then. But he goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says this, always, there's that word again. It always means always. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. It's all about focus. Max Lucado in his book Anxious for Nothing says this, rather than rehearse the chaos of the world, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. The truth is you'll find what you're looking for. How do I know this? I know this by nature. Let's look at two birds for just a second. We've got a vulture and we've got a hummingbird. Anybody want to help me in this room? Anyone want to tell me, what does a vulture find? What's a vulture find? Dead things, okay? A vulture finds dead things. Anyone want to help me find, what, is, what does a hummingbird find? Not dead things. <laughs> a vulture finds dead things. A hummingbird finds flowers and nectar and sweet things. Why do they find these things? Because that's what they're looking for. They find what they're looking for. You want to find things you can whine about? You want to find things you can complain about? You want to find things that will cause anxiety to build up inside of you? You're probably looking for that. You want to find God's goodness? You want to find God's grace? You want to find how great God can be? You have to look for it. See, for me, and I'll speak specifically for me because I know that this message is only for me and for nobody else in this room. Most of the time, The reason that I don't celebrate God's goodness in the midst of chaos is because I'd rather live in my negativity. So what I want to challenge us to do today is I want to challenge us to take the church mask off. And you know what I'm talking about. You walked in here today, you walked through a door, somebody said, how you doing? You said, great. And you smiled and you said, everything's going great in my life. I've got no anxiety. I'm all calm. Nothing's going on in my world. I've got no negativity. Everything is perfectly fine with me today. Let's take that mask off for a second. And let's just be real for a second. We're called Valley Real Life, so let's be real about who we are. Let's be real about the fact that some of us in this room might not be okay. And it's okay to not be okay. Jesus came to make us okay. So let's, let's be real for a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to give us some five areas today, five areas that we might be carrying some negativity that then leads to anxiety. And over the course of these, what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask for some participation. And the participation is really simple. All you have to do is raise your hand. Real simple, okay? Real simple. So let's talk about them. First one is this. It's called personal negativity. Personal negativity. That's when we're negative about ourselves. And you may have thought things like this. I don't have what it takes. I can't do it all. No matter how hard I try, I can't get it done. Everyone else gets all the breaks but me. No one appreciates me. I make all this thing float. I do this and I do this and I do this. And no one seems to notice. No one understands how valuable I truly am maybe for personal negativity it might be this. I want to take some of this and move it somewhere else. <laughs> I wish that the hair on my head would grow as fast as the hair in my ears. <laughs> if I just had an extreme makeover, then I'd be happy. Anybody in this room got some personal negativity that then leads to anxiety? Be willing to raise your hands? Thanks for the honesty. Let's move on. Let's call this one a relational negativity. <laughs> relational negativity. Every time I try to do something, I get burned when it comes to that person. You can't trust people as far as you can throw them. They're all the same. I wish my wife was different. I wish my husband were different. If i got to pick up one more pair of dirty underwear off the floor, I'm going to puke on the spot. She'll never change. He'll never change. They're all the same. Maybe it's at work. I hate my boss. I hate my coworkers. I hate that project we're working on because I can't stand that person. There's conflict building up, and I don't want to deal with it because there's personal Negativity relational negativity that's causing some conflict that then leads to anxiety. Anybody in this room want to be open and honest and say, yep, that's me? Thanks for being honest. Next one. We'll call it circumstantial negativity. We're negative because of the circumstances. If I was married, then I'd be happy. If I were married to somebody else, then I'd be happy. If we had children, we'd be happy. If we had different children, (laughs) we'd be happy if I had a better job, if I had more money, if I had a car that worked, if I had a bigger house, if we'll ever get out of debt. Anybody in this room want to be so honest and say, you know what, I've got some circumstantial negativity that's bringing about some anxiety in my life. Yeah, hands went up and down real fast on that one. (laughs) This one's going to hit probably this room really, really hard, spiritual negativity. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, no matter how much I pray, it just feels like God is distant from me. It feels like God's not even listening. It feels like no matter how much I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders, whether it be at work or in my personal life or relationals, it doesn't matter. It just feels like God is just distant from me, and it's causing so much anxiety in my life because what happens is is I go to a small group, and somebody in my small group talks about how much God's speaking to them and how God's opening doors for them, and here I am all alone and afraid and worried about my next step. Anybody in this room say, you know what? Spiritual negativity, least anxiety. Yeah. Last one. We'll call it nitpicky negativity. And it's for all of us. We all have something in this category. So if you haven't been participating, now's your chance. <laughs> for me, nitpicky negativity is pretty simple. It's anytime I get behind a car. Anytime I get behind the wheels of a car. There's just some nitpicky negativity that goes on in my world. I'll just I'll, sell, I'll spell a couple out for you. First one is this. Do you realize that there is a passing lane on the freeway? <laughs> there is. It's for passing. And so when you're, when you're in that far left lane and you, you know, you're in the middle lane and you cut me off and go to the far left lane and you don't pass anybody, you're lucky I'm a Christian. <laughs> you're lucky I love Jesus because what I really want to do is I want to take my 2003 Acura with three check engine lights and just ram the back of your car a few times until you get the hint to get over. There's no cops in this room, right? Good. Second one, four-way stop signs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Four-way stop signs. No one understands how to work a four-way stop sign or a roundabout in this community whatsoever. Four-way stop signs. My dad, actually, he taught me something. Um, Because, you know, you understand the four-way stop sign, the first person that gets there gets to go. But what happens when all four cars arrive at the same time? What happens then? My dad taught me a cool trick, and so I'm going to start using this. My dad said, here's what you need to do. He's a, he a police officer, so it's all fair. He used to say this. He would say, first person that honks gets to go. Let's try that today, okay? You arrive at the four-way right here on Sprague. Just four-way, honk, and go. We have some accidents happening around here. But you know what I'm talking about. Anybody in this room got some, some nitpicky negativity that leads to anxiety? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Amen should have had a sixth category. Sixth category is just extreme negativity. It brings about anxiety for Ryan. Here's what I mean by that. There's a group of people in this room who did this, not playing this dumb game. I just want to know that I know you're here. Okay. I know you're here. All right. So there we go. Now, how many of you were 20 minutes in? How many of you feel like you're in a better spot now than when you came in here? Nobody, right? Sorry. God can't help you. See you next week. The reality is this, at different points of my week, not my life, at different points of my week, I could have checked every single one of those boxes and said, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. Every one of those categories, I could say, you know what, I can relate to that. This week, I found myself in scripture. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is with some disciples. And they kind of walk through each one of these categories. And I want you to watch how they address Jesus and how Jesus addresses them. Mark chapter four, verse 35 through 41 says this. As evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves are breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. So let's backtrack and tell the story. Jesus says to the disciples, hey guys, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And they're like, okay, whatever you say, Jesus. And in their obedience, they follow Jesus. And they get in the boat and they head out. And Jesus, who's been, who's tired from all of the miracles he's been performing, all the speaking he's been doing, says, you know what guys, I'm going to take a nap. And Jesus goes to the, the boat and he takes a nap. And all of a sudden this fierce storm takes place. We're talking a real storm. With, with waves crashing into the boat and the boat's beginning to fill with water and these are seasoned fishermen. They are, they're not novice uh, you know when it comes to, to rowing boats. This storm is catastrophic and they're rowing all night and I can imagine that it's dark and I can imagine their boat has been spinning around and they don't even know what direction they're going. They don't even know if their shore is close. They know nothing other than the fact that they are going to drown. You ever been there? You ever been there where... You're feeling like you're carrying all of this weight, all of this anxiety, all of this pressure, whether it's personal or at work or in a relationship, and you're carrying all of this, and you're wondering, where's Jesus in the midst of this? Jesus, it's like you're sleeping. It's like you're disconnected from my present reality. It's like you're not even around. And here I am, trying to go all of these different directions and trying to do all of this stuff all on my own because you're not here. They said it this way, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. They're questioning his ability. Do you even care? Can't you do anything about this? And I love this story because Jesus gets up from his nap, rubs the sleep out of his eyes, walks out over the water and says, silence. And the wind and the waves stop. As if to say, you know what, guys, I had the power to speak it all into existence. I've got the same power to make it rest. How important is that for us? How important is that for me? I'll I'll just speak to myself again because this is just for me. How important is that for me? It's because so much in my life, I'm running and I'm running and I'm running and I get so exhausted and then crisis comes out of nowhere and I start to look in all of these other directions. Instead of going to the one who can speak it silent, that I can carry all of this burden and all of this anxiety and all of this stuff. And Jesus says it in Scripture, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. But so often, don't we do this? We begin to go in all these other directions, much like the disciples did. They try to do this and try to do this and try to do this, and finally, at their wits' end, then go to Jesus. We do that. At least I do. I know one of the ways that I do this, I'm a stress eater. I'm a stress eater. When I get stressed out, when there's anxiety going on in my world, you know what I do? I go to my couch, I grab a box of Cheez-Its, and I sit down and I eat a box of Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its over cheese nibs every time, right? All God's people said? Yeah. Some of us, and this isn't me, but some of us in this room, we've got retail therapy. Retail therapy. When mama gets stressed out, mama goes and buys a new pair of shoes. Or mama goes and buys a new dress, right? The guys in the room, when guys get stressed out, they go buy a new boat. It goes shoes and dress to boat. And then guys get even more worried because they're like, I don't know how I'm going to make this payment. Some of us turn to binge watching as if I'm going to escape my current reality so I can watch somebody else's reality. Some of us go to social media. (laughs) Social media, right? I'm going to get out my social media and I'm going to look at somebody else's glamorous life. And realize how worried I am about my own life. And Jesus gave us one simple step. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And the world throws all of these other things for us to do. In fact, I Google searched this week, eliminating worry in your life. Here's what I found. 22 quick tips to change anxiety forever. Seven ways to calm your worried mind. 10 ways to stop anxiety quickly. 15 ways to beat anxiety now. I got anxious just reading the list. <laughs> and Jesus gives us one step. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. These disciples went in every direction before they finally went to him. What we need, what you and I need, we need intentional focus on who he is. Because when we realize who he is, celebrating his goodness in the midst of our anxiety is just simple at that point. We we see him for who he is, that he has the ability, that he has the power, that he's capable of stepping into the storms of our life, the anxiety that we carry, the worry that we carry, the weight of the world that we carry. When we see him for who he is, it's just easier to come to him in the midst of those moments and to celebrate the fact that he can do something about it. I've been looking at this idea of happiness over the course of the last month or so. And I found a study that was just remarkable, just just fascinating. We'll call it the 50-10-40 principle. 50-10-40. When it comes to your happiness, when it comes to my happiness, 50-10-40. Did you know that 50% of your happiness, 50% of your happiness is fixed? 50%. Meaning the genetic makeup of your parents, the genetic lineage that you have inside, the bloodline that you have inside of you is actually fixed. 50% of it. A bad thing can happen in your life and you can get pretty down but automatically you'll come back to your set point or something really, really cool could happen in your life and you get really, really happy but you'll come back to your set point of 50% and it's important to realize that because when we hear the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, we have to understand it's not 100% choice to not worry and 100% choice to be happy. In the same way, it's not 100% choice for depression. And so my personal feelings on this We should be taking advantage of psychology and research and medicines. We should be taking advantage because God gifted people with the opportunity to enhance our education when it comes to that. 50% of your happiness. 50% is fixed. 10% is what I would call life events. Life events. That something really, really terrible could happen in your life and therefore happiness begins to wane or something really, really great could happen in your life and happiness begins to go up. 10%. You'd think it'd be larger. You'd think it would be much, much bigger, but it's not. 10% is circumstantial. If I just had a different job, if the Cubs just won another World Series, all of those things, right? 10%. 40% is intentional activity. 40% is your focus that there is 50% that you really can't do anything about. There's 10% that is life events that happen to you or happen for you. And then there's 40% that you can control. Nothing in your life, no circumstances of your life have to change for you to enhance 40% of your happiness. 40%. I began to put this into practice. As I began researching and studying this along with many people who are a lot smarter than me, I began looking at this 40% saying, how can I impact 40%? Because as I get anxious, I want to come back and put my focus back on who God is. And so every single day for the last few months, I've been looking at what does 40% look like? What I've found is that Mondays have been my arch nemesis. Anybody feel that way in here? Mondays are just kind of like, you know what? Mondays are just bad news for me. Because on the weekends, I've got this routine down with my kids where they can stay in their PJs, till as long as they want, and it's kind of great. And then Monday rolls around, and then you've got the routine of Monday morning of what that looks like, getting the kids fed and getting the kids' lunches ready to go and getting them off to school and making sure they don't spit on the faucet when they're brushing their teeth and making sure they're not fighting and all of those things, right? You, under- you understand. And so I've decided on Mondays, when I get up on Mondays, I'm going to open up the Word of God first and put my focus there. Guess what? It's amazing what happens when you do that. And so I found a piece of scripture that I've read many, many times. I've actually even sung this piece of scripture before. It's in Psalm, Psalm 118, 24. It says this, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And what I've found is that Mondays are a day from God. And there's no reason why I can accept that as a bad day. So I embrace it all the way to work. And guess what happens? Mondays are much better days now. I believe, and maybe you're with me on this, maybe you're not, I don't know. I believe that 40% of our happiness, 40% of what we carry through life and how we carry it through life is all about intentional focus. So I've been asking myself two questions. Ryan, where do you have anxiety in your personal life? And where do you have anxiety in your work life? Those are the two questions I've been asking. And as God has been raising things to the surface in my personal life, I'm anxious about this and I'm anxious about this and I'm anxious about this. And when I look at my work life, I'm anxious about this, and I'm anxious about this, and I'm anxious about this. And then I take it a step further, and I'm putting into practice what Max Lucado says. In the midst of that, I'm gonna celebrate God's goodness. The anxiety that I have in my personal life of how we're gonna raise our kids in the environments in which they find themselves in, where the world is telling them one thing and the Bible's telling them another, and the anxiety that builds up inside of me about that. How do I raise my kids in that? You know what I've come to realize? I've come to realize that God's raised billions of kids before my kids, And so God's in control and God's got it. When it comes to the work environment here, I'm anxious about how we're getting ready to launch another campus at Freeman and what that might look like, the leadership that we're going to need, the the lids that we've got, all of these these pieces we've got to put together for us to launch this this campus in Freeman because we feel like God is leading us to launch this campus in Freeman. And the anxiety that's built up inside of me, you know what I've realized? I've come to realize that I can celebrate God's goodness, that God has been in charge of his church for 2,000 years before Ryan ever existed. He's got it. And so the anxiety that I've got when I can understand and realize and recognize that God is in control and God is good, I can celebrate his goodness. And so we've got to make that a habit. We've got to make that a habit that every single time something comes in my lap, I'm going to play hot potato with it. Every time I've got anxiety, I'm just going to pass it to God and say, God, you're good. Every time I'm anxious, God, you're good. I'm going to play hot potato over and over and over again. And what will happen is my perspective will start to change. My perspective will start to change. I might be looking at a ginormous wall in front of me, this barrier right there. And I'll be asking the question, God, I don't know how to get over that wall. I don't know how to get through that wall. I don't know how to get around that wall. And as I realize that my God is bigger than the wall, and I'll start praying and realizing that God can take that wall down in front of me. I got a God who can catapult me over that wall. I got a God who can empower me to walk through that wall. I've got a God who's so wise and so understanding that he might look at that wall and look at me and say, hey, Ryan, turn around. You don't want anything to do with that wall. We have to get in the habit of understanding and of celebrating God's goodness. The ultimate proof of this is what we celebrated last week on Easter, that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on a cross and no, dark, no day was ever so dark. Everyone thought the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus was over. I mean, Jesus was dead and buried, but God. But God raised him from the dead. God took the crucifixion on Friday and turned it into a celebration on Sunday. So let me say this. If you're here today and you're wrestling with anxiety, those same words, but God. Anxiety is terrible. But God and God is bigger. So if you're here today, can I just say this? I'm sorry for the pain that life has given you. I'm sorry for the parents that neglected you. I'm sorry for the teacher that ignored you. I'm sorry for the heartbreaker that said, I do on your wedding day and I don't every day after. I'm sorry that you were intentionally mocked. I'm sorry that you were unfairly dismissed. I'm sorry that you're hurt. I'm sorry that you ended somewhere not on purpose. I'm sorry for what you're going through. I'm sorry that you feel all alone. I'm sorry for that state of depression that you find yourself in. I'm sorry that you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders and you're all alone in that. I'm so sorry for all of that. But as we celebrate God's goodness today, we can choose to wear our hurts and our negativity, which then leads to anxiety, or we can choose to wear our hope. See, I have hope. I have hope in the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, I have hope in the same God that spoke the world into existence. I have hope in the same God that can calm the storms in my life. I have hope in the same God who is able. I have hope in the same God who is a healer. I have hope in the same God who has not turned his back on me. I have hope in the same God who chooses to love me in spite of me. And that's why I choose to rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we have to just be reminded of your love and your grace and your mercy, to be reminded that you can calm the storms of our life. God, I just want to pray for any person in this room who's just feeling like they're carrying so many burdens and weights. They're just anxious. God, would you just step into their world right now? Would you speak to them in this moment? Give them a moment of clarity that you're with them. God, I thank you for the honesty in this room earlier, and I pray we would continue to be honest with you as we do business with you. God, we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.